is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer and producer Mike Zimmerman. Around the year 2000, Mike made the decision to leave his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio with his young family and seek out better opportunities in Nashville, Tennessee. Mike's talent and ability as a tasteful and talented drummer in Nashville led to artist gigs like Doug Stone, Earl Thomas Conley, Tracy Bird, and Jamie O'Neill. After years of touring sessions and odd jobs, Mike found himself as the third and final touring drummer with legendary Kenny Rogers. For seven years, Mike toured the world with Kenny Rogers up until the time that Kenny had passed away. Mike pulls from his experience to continue to perform and produce and record in Nashville. To find out more about this episode and the close to 300 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher and Spotify. We also have a YouTube channel where we are regularly populating old episodes. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I have been doing here at the podcast, you can find us on patreon.com slash working drummer. For as little as $1, you can have access to educational content from PDFs to videos that former guests are providing for us. If Patreon isn't your thing, we also have a PayPal option. Any amount and any donation is really helpful in helping to keep this podcast going strong. Hey everyone, we are super excited to announce that Sure Microphones is helping to sponsor the podcast. This year, we've been talking a lot about recording from home, and for those of you who are just starting out or are looking to supplement your existing arsenal of microphones, Sure's got a microphone kit that's perfect. The cost is just $349. This kit includes four must-have microphones. I'm talking three SM57s, which, as many of you know, is the industry standard when it comes to miking up snare drums, but it's also great for just about anything from toms to percussion and even vocals. In other words, you'll find SM57s in every studio from Ocean Way Studios Nashville to Abbey Road all the way down to my neighbor's basement studio. The fourth microphone is a Beta 52A kick drum mic. This is one of my favorite kick drum mics. It has the punch and the low end all in one. If these were the only four microphones you had, you'd be ready to record. If you're looking to expand your collection, recording options, or even upgrade to pro-end mics, the DMK 5752 bundle is perfect. I personally think you can never have enough SM57s, and the Beta 52A is amazing. This package comes with the hardware to mount the SM57s and a carrying case. Again, just $349 for a limited time. There'll be a link in the show notes to learn more about this great deal Sure is offering. Check it out. A uh, big shout out to my former bandmate, Don Gatlin, for connecting Mike and I to do this interview. If you hear the first 10 or 15 minutes, uh, there's a little bit of a delay in the, uh, the phone, and so there was a little bit of a makeup. So it sounds like Mike is actually talking fast. So hopefully I uh, was able to edit enough of the dead spots that it sounds pretty fluid. But if you notice something as far as uh, he sounds like the old micro machine guy, you know what was going on. So it smooths out uh, after a while. But again, uh, it was really fun to connect with Mike. And it was just so crazy how many things we had in common as far as our timeline and, and our interests. That's always kind of fun to discover when we're doing these interviews. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Zimmerman. My family comes from the Serbian-Croatian Orthodox background. And so in the Serbian world, there's music called tamboritsa music, which is kind of Eastern European folk music. And my mom played with her sisters called the Trevanovich sisters. And and they played, my mom played an instrument called the Bagadia, which is the rhythm guitar. It's a, a five-string open D uh, guitar that almost like, like if you think of polka, it plays the offbeat. Mm, that, that, wow. That, that, you know, but my mom, and I'm not bragging because she's my mom, but she was excellent at the Bagadia. She she had a killer right hand. And so she started when she was five. And of course, you know, I'm the last of 10. So through all the pregnancies and everything, that Bagadia is always leaning against the belly. So uh, maybe that's how I maybe started getting a rhythm bug or something. Uh, 14 started playing more and more, got into drums. 
my cousin Benny, who's a producer up in Cleveland, owns a Spider Studios, and he's produced big records and labels, mostly in the metal genre. Okay. Um, so musical family and everything played, and I played in local bands, and um, and then uh, I went to Kent State University. Uh, for graphic design and um i did about three years of that and music i i kind of put the drums in the closet when i was doing that and um i got drawn back into the music thing and kind of dropped out of school uh met my wife my future wife was playing in a band called special x local top 40 band uh got a job with my dad's company which was a uh distributor for industrial products cleveland had a lot of industry out there a lot of manufacturing steel and all that right so so i worked in the family business and i worked there for about seven years and like i said i was the youngest of the family i had uh like two uh older brothers an older sister my dad a cousin this or that or a nephew working you know it was all family business i just got to that point i think a lot of people who sit behind a desk do and they just go oh my god (laughs) <laughs> you know, this is just, you know, I'm playing on the weekends. My brother's a bass player and I'm playing in, in a country band. I hated country music before I turned 30. I was like, I can't stand this stuff. It's awful. And I was listening to Chick Corea, Level 42, Rush. Of course, I grew up with uh, listening to Rush was my first love, you know, Neil right. Peart. Oh, yeah. And um, Ohio boys. You're right. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, not, not too far away was where they were from, from Toronto. Right. And, um, and WMMS in Cleveland exactly. gave them their first start. Yep. So I just was sitting behind that desk, playing on the weekends, just, you know, after lunch, you're just ready to fall asleep. And I was just like, I got to do something about this. And um, we took a trip down for um, to, to a family visit for her side of the family. And so then, um, and we, we really enjoyed and how beautiful East Tennessee was, Smoky Mountains and everything. And, the roads were smooth, not like Ohio roads. And, um, yeah, horrible. So uh, we then also planned on the trip to make a ride to drive over to Nashville. I had a friend, some friends that that lived here, um, longtime friends that I grew up that were the, the guy who had the drum set down the street. You know what I mean? That, that grown up childhood friend. He had moved down here. He was a great guitar player named Chris Tench. And so we came down to visit them and we stayed at the Opryland Hotel and we were like just blown away with Nashville and how, how beautiful it was. Well, that's kind of started a two year planning of, hey, I'm going to I'd like to move down here because I was working at the job, sitting me on the desk. And I was just like, you know, I, and I was just like at that crossroads with my with playing music. I'm like, I'm either going to play music, but I'm sick of playing in bars. I hate bars, mm-hmm. the crowds, the drunk people and all this stuff. I want to play professional, but Cleveland, it's a metal town. Mm. And I started to like country music. I started listening to the Mavericks and Dwight Yoakam. And I'm like, oh, this stuff's kind of cool. Then some of that 90s country stuff was starting to kick in. Right. Um, the Jody Messina, uh, who was the drummer that played on? All that stuff. I can never remember the guy's name. Oh, uh, Lonnie um, Wilson. Lonnie Wilson. Yeah, super. Great. I was like, wow, that's some good drumming. And oh, then yeah. Greg Morrow on the Dixie Chicks Fly album. I'm like, whoa, that is greasy, you know? Yes. And so I started getting into the country more, and it was like I said, I hated it before, but it all kind of happened all at once. I started liking some country music, and I was getting sick of my job, and I experienced Nashville. So it took two years to kind of wean myself out of my bubble because my whole family, even all my relatives, cousins, aunts and uncles, everybody lived up in North, Northeast Ohio. And so I had to sell my mother-in-law. She came with us because my wife is an only child, sold mother-in-law's house, sold my house all by owner. So I can keep the money. I didn't want to give it away in fees to realtors. Yeah. And, and then left the job we sold my wife's business. She had a nail. She, my wife's a hairdresser, but she had a nail salon at the time up in this really cute town called Hudson where I grew up. And, um, she, uh, we sold the business, sold the houses. It was like the Billy Joel song, closed the shop, sold the house, bought a ticket to the South coast, uh, <laughs> or something like that. Um, 
and uh, we we made the big move, man. And it was just like, wow, you know. And it was just one of those. I gotta, you know, it's like shit or get off the pot. And deal. what year was this? Uh, well, it started like in ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay. And then for like I said, it took two years to do all this planning. And I, I mean, I seriously wrote everything down, like on a in, in my word processor, like the 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 positives and the negatives to moving, you know, you know what, this is what I want to, and it was just like, I had to explain to myself that whole process of, you know, getting up and moving to completely uprooting my family yes. and my mother-in-law. Yes. My wife, my daughter's three, my wife's pregnant and we moved to Nashville. Um, and we, we come here and I swear to God, the minute, and my, my nephew, who's a truck driver, he drove the semi. We had two houses full of stuff in this tractor trailer. And then we had about, there was about 15 people that helped us move. I don't know if they were excited for me or they were just like, yeah, let's get Mike out of town. This is great. You know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) they loved you, man. They loved you. Yeah. Yeah. They love me now. Uh, and, And seriously, I mean, I appreciate, I, I worked with my family, so I appreciate them now when I go back home. I love seeing my family now. Before it was like I worked with you all week, and now I got to be with you for a birthday party or an anniversary or a funeral or something, and oh, you again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was, it made me love my family more, which I have a great family, a big oh, old family, I, I and, I, and we're all kind of experiencing that right now. It's like <laughs> we're all on top of each other in this shut-in thing. It's like. Please, somebody go out, do something, get away. Yeah, well, it's not so, it's, you know, all my relatives, everybody's still up in Ohio. And yeah. Anyways, uh, so we moved down here and I got a job working for kind of doing the same thing for, for family, little family company. So, you know, when I was working in my, for my dad, I was, you know, son of boss. And then I went, I got a job down here and I worked in a family business and I was not son of boss anymore. I was on the other side of the fence and boy, is it dysfunctional? You know, <laughs> it was, it, it was a, a bad scene. So anyway, I worked there for like a year and a half and then I got another job and, and it was all just to take care of my family. Cause I was of course. raising a young family. I had, to, I had to work and I didn't really play okay, well. uh, that much. So, and and I did have some opportunities here and there. My friend Chris, the guitar player, he he hooked me up with a couple guys, and it uh, it got off on a good foot, and we had fun. It was a, a kind of a Zydeco blues band, and uh, had Marty Stewart's bass player, and this uh, great guitar player, and this great singer from from Louisiana. And you probably know that the drummers that come from Louisiana are a whole different breed than the drummers. From oh, Ohio. oh yeah. Heck yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's in true. their water. It's they just, true. they got grease, you know? Yeah. They're like, who's Neil Pert? You know? <laughs> I know. I know. It's so funny. I mean, Ohio to Louisiana. It's, it's so true, man. Yeah. Just That's that Southern thing that I totally didn't have. Well, I started off with this band and I, and I, they liked me at first, but then maybe I got comfortable and I started, playing too much maybe i brought a splash to the gig or something <laughs> they were just like i got fired from the gig and that crushed me because you know i thought i was some hot shot from cleveland and, and uh and then just to get you know your hat served to you really was a, a probably a, a necessary lesson sure and right. being yeah. humble yeah. you know that type of thing um so that was kind of what got me going and then uh, just my my whole musical life in a nutshell in a way is you know i went to i started going to a community church bellevue community church out here which had a great musical program lionel cartwright was the kind of the artistic director of the church and he is amazing and a great writer great musician and that's where i met tim dembo yeah um uh bass player we mentioned earlier and um and all these other great artists um, these people. Um, so, so I, you know, and I learned how to read the number system a little, I, I kind of knew a little bit about it, but I really got to put that in use at the church. And then also I was playing bass at the church too. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, because the, you know, bass players were kind of a shortage and 
you know, I can read the chart and I can thump it out. No problem. I didn't have to do anything too difficult. It wasn't, wasn't that hard, but it's funny story is that, you know, Joe Dorn. Yeah. Joe's the, uh, local, uh, uh, dealer guy at the Forks drum closet, our, our local store here. Yeah. And, uh, Joe was, that's where I met Joe. Okay. And he and I have been friends for a long time. Sweet guy. I love Joe. He's great. Yeah. And, um, I would play bass and he would play drums and, uh, he always thought, Oh, okay, whatever. And we would just we'd goof, goof around and we, we got along, we became friends. And, and then I went over to his house one night and he had his drum set set up and I go, Oh, cool, man. He had his Tana drums. I go, I go, you mind if I try them out and play them? He goes, yeah, go ahead. So I, I get on there and this is his description that I, I start tearing it up and ripping up the stuff. And he was just like, Holy crap. Like, I thought you were a bass player, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it's kind of a funny story that, that Joe and I share, but um, yeah, I used to play bass at church. So that, that kind of meant I, I got to meet a lot of people there and, and, you know, and I, and I had some artist gigs here and there, but the, the Kenny Rogers gig, which was probably my, my little cherry on the top, which was one of the greatest right. gigs I ever had. Right. Um, that came through the church. I was playing with um, an artist there called Clara Omen, who is an amazing um, singer songwriter. She when she played at church, she was so and she's very good looking. And when she would play, the place was you could hear a pin drop. It was like she just had everybody captivated. And so Billy Dean, the country artist, his wife was going to church there, and yeah. she says to Billy. Hey Billy, you gotta check out this Claire Omen. She's amazing, and he does. He picks her up, does an album on her. Shannon Forrest plays on the on the session. What a slap! Killer, killer tracks, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, so I get to meet Billy Dean. Well, Billy Dean was associated with the Kenny Group because he would do the Christmas tours with them, right? right. And um, Randy Dorman, our guitar player in Kenny, he's lives in town and he came to see billy's new pet project and that's where he met me gotcha. and then that's where i got an opportunity to to come to his house uh that he was doing you know he was doing um sessions for some writers and stuff like that recording them and i got an opportunity to play with the band and then their drummer decided to retire and i got asked to audition and uh got the gig so it all came through church that's that's amazing. Well, and and you know, Bill, I had a chance to work with Billy years ago, and he's just such a sweet guy. Uh, oh man, it, it's amazing how much you can think that you can prepare, you can connect the dots, you can network, you can practice, you can listen to music, you can do all those things, but some stuff is just out of control, out of your control. And uh, I think it's just about being present, being ready to go being open to new, to new ideas, learn from your lessons. I mean, getting let go from that Zydeco gig that you loved, you said was crushing, but it was probably, when you look back now, it, it was probably really important that you kind of got your cage rattled a little bit and yeah. focused on what needed to happen and just and just being ready, you know, for those, those, uh, those opportunities. Yeah, definitely. That that definitely, um, like you say, rattled your cage, and 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 you start. You got to learn from your failures because you're going to fail more than you succeed. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I know that every artist gig that I've ever had, you know, and, and you probably know this. When you go out on a road with somebody, there's no rehearsal. Yeah, there's no getting together and and prepping. So I was given a, a show tape or CD of the thing, I would make my charts and I would, you know, my, my charts were immaculate as far as I knew exactly what to do. And I could jump to the next song. And, um, and, and really an, another one that really helped me do that was working with, um, that local, um, show band, uh, burning Las Vegas. Yes. Meg. See, I feel like we're it's, okay. So I moved here in 2000 from Columbus. My wife, I moved here. My, yeah, I know. And then my wife's yeah, yeah. an only child, so my mother-in-law moved down after my second son was born. Oh, my uh, God. The, um, 
I used to sub with Burning Las Vegas, uh, which I got a brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I had your finesse. I think that's where we part ways, Mike. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's crazy. Yeah, Burning Las Vegas had a pace to it, and oh my god, I'm wondering. Brian, Brian came, Denard. Brian Denard came who, to my house and got a ton of my charts. I wonder, did you ever get my charts? Because my charts are pretty slamming. I mean, there are mixed. No, of, I, did, I never got any charts for anything. Okay. I, I, he did. I, that it's once. funny because when I when I first played with them, of course, you know, I had the material, and I think I might have had some 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 tapes of them performing. And it was just fun, and it was from Josh. I think Josh was playing yep. on that. Yep. Gig and. Um, I remember because we used to do Wednesday nights at BB Kings. Right, right. And I remember the first night I played with them after the first set. And I felt pretty good about it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, that turned out pretty good. I go, that sounded pretty good. What do you think, Brian? He goes, yeah, you got a long way to go. <laughs> you know, Brian. just totally. Oh he, he's like, uh, 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 who was who Tina Turner's husband? Ike Turner. He's yeah. the Ike Turner of the of the wedding band scene. He could be really hard on you and bust your balls, but then once you get it and all that stuff like that, he's the funniest dude, man. It, he's it was like really confusing. I mean, he does have that personality. It's like he's got he's got two personalities. He's mm-hmm. he's the boss that's gonna kick your ass, and then he's 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 pretty fun and loving. And I've gone over his house to to plan a song or something like that that he wrote or something. He had a great little studio. Yeah, and um, he was the sweetest guy. But I'm like, who is this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Where's the ball busting, laughing, you know, goofing on you type of guy? But then he was a sweetheart at the house. So I played, uh, was subbing for Josh, and we're playing down in Murfreesboro, and the club we were playing at, I can't remember the name of it at the time. It's changed names so many times. On the square in Murfreesboro, and the air conditioner had gone out. And people were dancing. It was just burnt. I mean, I was about ready to pass out. And on the break, Brian says, I'm going to run home, get, get some get some fans. I'm like, oh man, good idea. He comes back with like three or four fans and, and puts them on the girls. Right. Or points them in the audience to keep people cool. So they'll keep dancing. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it, it, it was, inter- I had some good experiences and some bad experiences with that. I think as, as a result, but boy, talk about just, and, and, you know, Don could be that way, too. But, you know, going back to Savannah Jack, I mean, like, there were times when it would just be boom, boom, boom. And I learned a lot from that and that I still carry with me today. I think that helped me get into working with Burning Las Vegas for a while. But then, you know, if you're not paying attention or, you know, for whatever reason, it was just. But those things, they add up to experience that. You know, when you go and you work with someone and says, well, we need to go from this song to this song pretty quick. Can you do that? Can you lead the band? Can you count them in with an amazing amount of authority? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I don't take any of those things for granted these days the way maybe I I did. I might have been too young and just didn't have the maturity to handle someone like Brian. Yeah, it's definitely, and I'm the kind of personality that will give people the benefit of the doubt. And I, I don't carry, uh, I don't have a huge ego where I feel like, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to go in there and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a per- people pleaser pretty much, you know, and I, I understand my position. I'm a hired gun and, um, sure. and this person needs you to do your job. And, and so, I'll, uh, and if there's anything I could fix, I could do it. Um, I had that experience even with Kenny. I remember um, early on when I had that gig. Of course, it was funny about that gig was um, the previous drummer was uh, Lynn Hammond. Mm-hmm. He had played there for like 25 years with Kenny. And um, Kenny grew very accustomed to his drum fills. Like if you had a drum fill that came out of a segment, or in a medley or something like that, you had to play it. I had to play it like Lynn. So it wouldn't trip up Kenny. Cause by the time I got to Kenny, he was, you know, older. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was kind of, he, he kind of used us as a crutch for certain things. So, so there was plenty of times I was told to, you know, make sure you hit that, 
lick right because that's going to throw off Kenny. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I was fine with it. I wasn't, I, I didn't, you know, get an attitude about it and say, well, no, I'm going to put my mark on it or I'm going to play what I want to play or something like that. Right. Right. You know, uh, our sound man, Frank Farrell is always very, uh, quick to say, you know, it, it's all about Kenny. Yeah, it, it's what yeah. we can do to make him look better. Right. I mean, if you don't get that, especially with Kenny Rogers, I mean, geez. Yeah. Check yourself. Well, you know, <laughs> it, Kenny is an amazing singer. He's got an amazing voice and has a, had an amazing career. And, um, you know, nobody gets there alone. Uh, and, you know, I don't, a lot of the decisions he's made is, has been from people that surround him and that just even just the road cam. I, I don't know about, I can't say too much about management, but I know that his road family was dedicated to Kenny. Like you wouldn't believe it. It's, I've, I've been with other artists where, you know, after you're done with the gig, you never see those people again, or you don't, you barely talk to them or something like that. But, but this, I still talk to all these guys. Of course, we've got the band going together again. Right. Now with Don fronting it, but right. um, such a tight family, nothing I've ever seen. And a lot of people say that they're like, wow, you guys are, you know, real friends. You know, it, it's, it's, it was pre- pretty cool to be a part of that. The thing about the Kenny gig was that we traveled all over the world. It wasn't just the States and Canada. Yeah. We went, I got to go to Australia, New Zealand twice. We went to uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Oh my gosh. Bangkok, Morocco, South Africa, Europe twice. So in, in my small little window of like seven years that I, I got to work with them, we, we did all that international travel. And not only, and, I, and I've known of bands that have gone overseas, but they go over there, play and get out. We go over there, have a day off, play, have a day off, <laughs> you know, set up a whole month long tour with days off. And we got to sightsee and do things and take in all the different culture stuff. And uh, that was really remarkable that, of course, you know, um, Earl or, or those guys, they, you know, they never went overseas for one and uh, never took the time to have those days off anywhere. I think, you know, we all take the USA for granted, like you don't want to have a day off in, you know, Seattle. Why would you want that? You know, um, <laughs> you pretty much go and play and get out. Uh, but overseas, we really took the time to enjoy our surroundings. That's awesome. so that was very, very different than a lot of the other bands. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's and some... I should say that, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the, the first time, one of the other things I, I played, and I, and I don't mention this stuff, is, but I used to play with this girl named Lynn Marie. And she is a five-time Grammy-nominated polka artist. Wow. And um, we, she was the first one to take me to Europe. And we went to Slovenia. We went to Switzerland, Austria. And, uh, and, and again, we took the time to take in the environment, uh, which was really, really great. Um, but of course, it was on a much smaller level. This polka, we we rockified polka music and polkified <laughs> rock music. <laughs> but uh, she's uh, that was years ago, and that was with um, uh, Charlie Kelly on guitar, whose wife is Nan Kelly, who used to host the uh, the Grand Ole Opry on TV and stuff like that. She's a kind of TV personality, and got to spend time with with them. And um, but yeah, Lynn Lynn. Well, that was back in, gosh, oh six oh seven maybe. Mm-hmm. That was after the Doug Stone thing. I did this polka thing, and Tim Dembo was there. Oh, Tim wow. was on bass. That's hilarious. Yeah, Tim's a great bass player for polka. We, but we had a we had a ball with it, and um, and then that kind of went away. I mean, but Lynn and I still we're still friends. She's remarried, and and her and her new husband Eddie, we we hang out all the time. We just went to. Uh, Lake Tahoe with them oh my for gosh. a few days. And, uh, yeah, they enjoy traveling, but, um, those are the things that I think in a gig. And that's the thing that we do as musicians, we get to travel and oh, we get to come home with yeah. money. We get to come home with money. 
Yeah. It's not like we went and spent money, you know, and you could be very frugal out there on the road and, and still have a good time. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that I struggled with all the time. Uh, again, Savannah Jack had the opportunity to travel. Those guys wouldn't turn anything down. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to go to just about all every 50, all 50 states. Um, working with Michelle Wright, I've gone through Canada multiple times and had some great experiences. But the, the, this, the I don't know, it, it, you don't get to be there with your family. And I, that's kind of the bitter, sweet part of it is, you know, wow, we went to this volcano and I wish you could have been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, that was a good thing about the Kenny uh, family oh. was that, you know, if you could afford it, you, you bring your, you know, bring your wife. Oh, that's amazing. Bring your daughter, bring your kids or whatever if you want. You know, I mean, of course, you've got to be responsible to pay for them. Yeah, Kenny's not going to pick up their plane ticket, but you know the the awesome catered dinners we'd have before a gig. Yeah, they were allowed to be there for that. Yeah, um, all the extra um, activities that we did, they were allowed to do that. So, so my wife got to go with us to Europe, our last tour of Europe, and um, well, I, I should say mostly like Great Britain, but you know she we got to go to Ireland and Scotland. And then we took a day trip to Paris and uh, Zurich. So she got to experience some of that with us um, at, at any time. Uh, my uh, Brian Franklin's wife and son came to Australia with them last time we went there. That's amazing. And so we got to to uh, bring them out as much as we wanted. You know, of course, you asked for permission with the right. if, if it was some like um, like on the bus or something like that. Like if I took my daughter and my son with us. Because you ask the band guys, hey, do you mind if right. Olivia comes or Brandon comes? You know, <laughs> all that. But everybody was, everybody was like, yeah, sure, come on. You know, like that's no great. problem. That's awesome, man. And it was fun. They they get to that's some of their fondest memories. I think is being out on the road with Kenny. That's great. You know? That's great. I've had a few opportunities for that, and went to France. Took my wife to France, and few cruise cruise gigs and with the boys and stuff like that's 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 awesome cool yeah, yeah. Well, well yes you do you do miss out on a lot of that uh mm-hmm. that raising thing um this you know like i said i moved here with a three-year-old and a pregnant wife and and then so you're like son, see ya <laughs> yeah <laughs> good luck <laughs> i hate to be you but i'm leaving <laughs> um and, and selfishly it was like it was kind of nice to get away, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. And, and I, of course, felt that my wife, you know, of course we've talked about it and, um, she doesn't hold any grudges about any of that stuff. You know, she was very supportive still is yeah, of what I do musically. And, um, you know, I think that's, of course, that's important. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I think, you know, it's interesting because when I left Savannah Jack, I I needed to spend more time at home. And I I, I wonder about people that they live a lot of their life on the road and then they come home. It took me about a year to like decompress and learn how to communicate with my wife and my family because my brain was still on the road. And it's like, she's like, you know, you're home now. We need you here. We we need you present. And then like, I was just thinking I'm here, but I wasn't really there uh, because I was so wired that way. And uh, I think that's my wife used to say, my wife used to say I had a bus mouth. If I come home, yes, just start talking like a sailor. And she's like, you're not on the bus anymore. (laughs) Man, I used to do this gig. A buddy of mine and I would be on this gig for a week. We'd come home and the band leader was super dark and, and it just wrote super rough, super set. Talk about that, man. And I, we'd come home and my wife and his wife would say, okay, y'all need to check yourself in a hotel and decompress for a couple of days. Then you can come home because we got little kids at home and you guys are like, F this, F that, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like, turn it down a notch. Um, yeah. Well, what, how was Kenny to interact with personally? Uh, super uh, nice. He never had that aura of superstar about him. He was, you know, honestly, I, like I said, I came in there when, let's see, uh, how old was he when he died? Was he 81 or something? 80? 
So I was there when he was 72. He, you know, he was older. Yeah. Of course, supposed, you know, older. And he was more like, like a father figure or mm. a grandfather wow. in a way. And we just, we took care of Kenny. I'd come in and, and we, he'd be there just sitting there with his legs crossed. And I go, Hey Kenny, how you doing? He's like, Oh, good. You know, just doing my thing or whatever. But, but, it, but super nice, super easy to communicate with. Like, and, and it was almost like, like your old man, you know? Yeah. Um, no pretentiousness about him. That's you know, it, it was funny because when you see him interact with with people who come back for a meet and greet and stuff like that, and he's always just very calm, very humble, um, just a sweet guy, you know. Uh, he knew he was, and he had confidence in who he was, but he didn't put it in your face. He didn't act like a diva or nothing like that. He was... Everybody just took care of Kenny. You know, I'd, I'd sit there and go, you want something to drink? You know, I'd go get him a, cause he'd like to drink like Mountain Dew or something. <laughs> it was like, he was, you know, McDonald's and soda pops and things like that. It was like, he, he had a horrible diet, but, um, it's <laughs> <laughs> funny, but yeah, pizza, pineapple pizzas after the gig, Ooh. you know, the pineapple and ham pizza, the Hawaiian yeah. pizza. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, I don't mind it. People really hate them, though. They're, I don't get that. There's yeah. some haters out there. I know. I like it too. Well, that's so good, man. I mean, like it's I'm I'm like you know like you growing up in Columbus, not knowing any country music. When I moved to Nashville, I knew who Garth Brooks was and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. That was it. Maybe Alan Jackson. I don't know. I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to really remember. But I mean, I had to really go to school to figure out who these people are. That we have mutual friends that grew up. You know idolizing and listening to everything that was coming out on country radio and oh yeah guys there's some guys like like don who are scholars yeah on country music and they know everything about it and i'm just like i'm barely hanging on i I remember one of my very first gigs i got called the sub i think i befriended dave rowe down with the Mm -hmm. when he's playing with the don kelly band sure and gave him my number blah 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 when i first came here and i think he called me up or he referred me to a guy to come play at Roberts West Rose, my first gig downtown. And of course there's a traditional cunt. That's very traditional country bar. Yeah. And there's, you know, country beginnings and country endings. Everything in between is, you know, a train beat, a shuffle or something very straight. Wailing for the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you got to know how to come in the song. You got to know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any of that stuff. No, you know what I mean. Let's be like three, four, one, two. What? Why'd you start at three? You like? Oh right. <laughs> I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. So, and then of course you know that traditional country ending. You know that whole thing. Yeah. I did. I didn't know that side. I was always pushing it like a blues song. You know. Right. Wrong. Right. I never got asked back. <laughs> yeah, I it, is, by the guy again, but. it is so amazing. It's it's that that stuff. I, I remember subbing yeah. for a band last minute and they were like, uh, I mean, I did again. They were like, it's a shuffle. Uh, give me the count off two, three, one, uh, 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 three, four, one, two. And I'm like, what are you saying? And they said, just give me two bars of count. And, you know, <laughs> that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it, absolutely. You're just trying to get the counting right, and mm-hmm. totally. And, and even when I when I played with Tracy Bird, all those guys were Broadway guys that were playing in his band. Mm-hmm. And um, at Soundcheck, they'd be like, "Play this, blah blah blah, whatever it was." And it was some total traditional uh, haggard tune. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, how's that go? <laughs> like, how do you not know this? Oh, I know. exactly. How'd you get this gig? Like I've got charts from like 18 years ago that I'm like, I can't believe I have a chart for this song. Like everybody knows this song. That's a like if somebody calls that song now, you know, I make a joke. Hey, I didn't bring my chart with me. They're like, yeah, right, whatever. Come on. Yeah, right. Count it off. Yeah. From day one, you know, when I first got the gig, um, Chuck uh, Jacobs and Frank Farrell, our bass player and her, uh, technical guy um 
they were like, we don't know how long this gig's going to last. It could be a year, two years, three years. Ended up being seven years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from day one, it was like whatever, you know. And, and it's like, yeah, you get this cool opportunity. You get this notch on your belt. It's cool. But, you know, always think about what you're going to do next. And and I'll tell you, one of the um, – I've always been into having a little recording system at the house. It started off with, you know, the four-track and then the little eight-track cassette do dead even back in ohio i had this stuff oh cool and um so i've always kind of had a little rig of some sort and 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 still really my rig is still considered little it's not that great i mean i'm using like a, a universal apollo duo uh, it's a rack unit thing and then mm-hmm. I've, I've got some uh, uh what is this thing a focus right eight so i've got 16 ends I got some Yamaha speakers. I built a desk because I do I do woodworking on the right. side as well. Right. And um, you know, got the right microphones and I've got the right stuff. I got some gear and I've always been recording myself for that. And um, w- one thing that happened that was really, really cool that that got me into it even a little deeper was our first trip to to um, Australia with Kenny. I met this couple that was doing this children's program and it was called the farmer Rob show and they needed somebody to produce the music. And so they thought, you know, Oh, this is Kenny Rogers drummer. This has got to be a pretty cool guy. He lives in Nashville. So let's give, let's let him do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. honestly, it was one of those, one of those things where I, I took a big leap of faith and I said, you know, boy, these people are spending a lot of money on this thing and they need someone to produce. I better not screw it up, but you know what? I'm just going to jump in and say, oh, yeah. I can do it. Oh yeah. You know? So I took that leap of faith, that jump and I said, okay, let's do it. And it turned into like a five year thing that we, I did the, for their little, uh, they were, they were doing a, um, a pilot that they filmed and, uh, and you can look this stuff up on YouTube. If yeah. You ever see I've it. seen it. It's great. And, um, great job. Uh, so then we we did another another record after the the pilot, and then we did a Christmas record, and things just kind of fizzled away. But anyways, it really got me into doing more producing and making sure that it sounded good. And and with, and boy, was that a fun change of pace mm. from trying to write country music. Funny little stories. When I first moved to town, I went to the Union and I met Bunny Harmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bunny Harmon is the great you know, studio drummer from Nashville from back way back when. And, um, I said, I'm a drummer. And, uh, and I go, and he goes, Oh, great. That's all we need is another drummer. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, thanks buddy. And honestly, I didn't really know who he was that much. I have to be honest with you. Later on, I, I did some research on him. I'm like, Oh shit. That was like, right. that was the guy. Yeah. So, and I told him, I says, well, I dabble on some songwriting. And he goes, well, that's where you should really focus. And so I spent the next couple of years, I joined NSAI, the uh, Songwriter Association, and was trying to start the craft of writing. But then, you know, it's like, okay, I got to be relevant. I've got to write a hit. I've got to think of an artist to write for, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have nothing to say and thinking of it. So then when this kids music thing came around and I raised two little kids and I like making little babies laugh. I'm like, this was a good fit. Nice. I had a ball and I wrote so many tunes for us. Of course, we we split the the writing credit on everything because they would kind of refine what I did because they had to sing it. And um, so I wrote a bunch of kids tunes and produced it and just had a ball with it. And, um, and, and so that was part of the studio thing. And I have to say, I'm, I'm going to kind of step up my studio thing mm-hmm. because right now I'm currently building my own garage mahal my taj garage i'm building a two and a half car garage which is going to have a workshop for woodworking because i do woodworking yeah and i also have another room on it which is like a 16 by 22 room that i'm turning into a studio oh, which will be for tracking drums yeah. or producing whoever demos my own stuff or whatever yeah. just to kind of have that and so that's going to open up my because I have a small room that I do all this stuff in now at the house and um, I'm going to bust a wall out and open it up. So my wife gets more room and then I, I can have my, my man cave out, <laughs> out back. Um, yeah. So during this whole 
2020 pandemic garbage that we're going through. Um, I'm kind of uh, preparing for the future a little bit. And I think that's, you know, if you want to stay in it, I, I'm never going to not play drums or play music. So I'm going to make a nice permanent place where I can be creative, both with my hands woodworking or with my ears yeah. producing and playing drums and stuff. When you look at the signal chain or what goes into recording, it's got to start with a really good player mm-hmm. and then the drums got to sound good. And then how you capture the sound has got to be good, but it really starts at the player. I remember years ago, um, I heard a track that a friend of mine cut. He was like a blues player named Don Shaw. I played with him in Doug Stone's band. Great guitar player. He did a recording and it had Dave Northrop on drums. Yeah. And and I didn't know Dave at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and I heard this track and and I was just blown away. I was like, man, that's he plays his ass off. You know, I thought it was so great. And uh, him and same thing with Derek Mixon. You know, and Derek with yeah, Derek stuff. He was because he played with Doug Stone, and uh, Don would record some Derek. And Derek is such a good feel and pocket. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And the recordings weren't that great. But the musicality that came through was just there, you know? And and so that's really the most important. Now, if he could have tweaked the sound a little bit and did this, it would have been the perfect album, you know? Um, but it starts with the playing. Yeah. And it's funny because I heard that recording and I for Dave Northrup. And uh, I think I reached out to him on, on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> that long ago. That long ago. And uh, he was super nice, but yeah, he's a, he's a character. He's a good guy. He is a good dude, man. Uh, I've had both those guys on the podcast. Oh, cool. Do you, are you making money from woodworking? Are you looking to do more of that kind of thing? Because there's so many drummers, so many great drummers we talk to who, yeah, they, well, they they balance things out. You yeah, and you have to. I am totally enjoy doing other than playing drums. I love doing this other stuff. Actually, when, when Kenny got done, 2017, December, was our last gig. Um, and, you know, we were supposed to come back the next year, but he had to have a heart procedure done and like a stint or something. And come April, they were like, it's over. And um, But in the meantime, I, I'm one that can't sit around all day and do nothing but play drums and play music. I can't sit in my studio and produce something and play drums and all that. I I would go bonkers doing that all the time. I've got a my other side of my brain or something it's gotta work. Yeah. I've got to use my hands. Yep. And I'll go nuts if I sit around and, and do the same thing all the time like that. So after Kenny was done, I started uh, and before Kenny, I was doing a lot of painting. I was painting interior walls, you know? And then of course Kenny came and that was really the only first time in ever that I got to just play music for a living. And and because of the kids' show stuff, I was very busy producing all that on my off time when I wasn't on the road. And then I'd go on the road with Kenny. And I'd come on my work on the Farmer Arms show. So it, it kind of balanced me out a little bit. It yeah. gave me something to do. But when Kenny was done, I started doing more handyman type of work. I was painting. I was putting floors in, mm-hmm. putting trim up, installing doors. Yep. Simple, simple handyman stuff. And I started a little business called Mike Z Home Maintenance. Nice. And started getting my, my wife's a hairdresser. So she has a lot of her clients. She keeps my card. I got my little handyman card out and they take a card all the time. And they know that I'm with this, you know, drummer and I play with Kenny and all this stuff like that. So it's kind of a, they, they, they're kind of, I won't say they're like, really um, into me because I was Kenny's drummer, but we do talk about the Kenny thing and, yeah. and, but I come in and I'll paint, trim, fix drywall, yep, do all this stuff. And then sometimes I, I'll get a, um, somebody wants a headboard. So I'll build a headboard out of wood or I built mm-hmm. a table stand for a buddy and, um, you know, and I'm getting paid for these things. Yeah. So, um, because of, course 2020 and all that going on and and some of that work dropped away because people were afraid to have people in their homes you know right um but yeah it it 
turned into where I was doing more of that kind of work than I was playing music. Mm -hmm. And, but I love being able to jump on the drums and being able to paint a house or something, you know, I, painting is very Zen like to me. Like I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, I'm doing that. But the muscle thing is you're right. If you're, if you're swinging a hammer and then you go to try to play drums, it takes a while. I'm glad that we had a chance to connect and, I want to do a shout out to Don Gatlin for for reminding me and like, hey, you got to talk to Mike. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. My list is long and you've been on it for a while. And uh, wow. well, I'm honored to be on it, man. I've, I've seen your podcast and um, wow, I'm, that's, I'm tickled to be on it. And, and, and yes, yeah, so a shout out to Don because he was like, hey, you got to call Matt up, man. He does this thing. I want to interview. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, it's been real cool. He's been he's been good and especially when we first started getting some some uh some players that he knew and I still I still bug him from time to time. Uh so but man, I, when this stuff slows down, we need to connect uh in person and uh it would be great to grab some barbecue and kind of see what you've got going on and and please be safe with your tools. Uh, we need we need great drummers still in town, <laughs> and all the good stuff. Um, but thanks for doing this. I, I so appreciate it. Have a good rest of your week. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been really cool. Awesome. And we'll, we'll we'll get together soon. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I'll be in touch with you. Cool, man. Thanks. All right, buddy. Bye, bye. Bye. So there you go, my conversation with Mike Zimmerman. That was a lot of fun. Uh, again, I appreciate Don Gatlin for connecting us on that. It, I just found it so ironic how many things we had in common. And uh, maybe when things start getting back to normal in the new year, we'll find some time to hang out. As we come upon December, we have decided to take a couple weeks off at Christmas and New Year's in preparation for our 300th episode that will post January 7th. We're real excited about this. We're going to have some YouTube content. It's going to be a retrospective on the last at least 100 episodes, if not more. I'm excited about putting that together. But next week, you can check out Zach Albetta's interview with uh, Canadian drummer Randy Cook, who's been living and working in Los Angeles and has built up quite an impressive resume. Then after that, I've got an interview with Dave Elich, and we're hoping to build some bonus content and dig a little bit deeper with Dave and have some of that bonus content in the 300th along with the other things we have planned for that. But for now, uh, we appreciate everyone listening and participating in this podcast in whatever shape or form. And uh, please stay safe. Uh, I think we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We just have to do the things to keep ourselves healthy so we can hit 2021 uh, and make some music again. So keep in touch and uh, hope to see you around. Bye-bye. <laughs>